Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Those are verses 12 to 15 of Psalm 94, which along with Psalm 95 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, September the 27th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Hosea. Today we are in the fourth chapter, verses 1 to 10, so we skipped over the third chapter for some reason. Um, In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 12 to 26, and in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. So, we, like I said, I don't know why we skipped over chapter 3 in Hosea. I'll have to go look at that after I'm done with this. <laughs> it says, it begins with, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. All right, listen up. I got a problem. I'm going to announce it here. I'm going to tell you exactly what that problem is, right? I mean, that's exactly what he start, how he starts. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love. No knowledge of God in the land. They're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. Does that sound at all like a familiar situation to you? It does. It sounds exactly like the times we live in, except the times we live in are actually kind of worse than that, because there's all manner of of perversion and weirdness going on in the world today. There's a denial of God as creator. There's, a, there, there's no knowledge of God in the land. There's, in fact, a, a complete denial that he was the creator. No, 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 no. Just, it, it just came out of nowhere. Uh, we don't know how it happened, but it just, it just appeared. It, it, creation, it's the wrong word. So this, this world and everything in it, well, you know, it, things happen and, and then poof. You know, you mix a lot of chemicals together and yada, da 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 and you get suddenly, you know, life. Oh. Okay. But the, but it leads to this, and that's exactly Paul's argument in Romans one. If, if as long when you begin to deny God, then everything goes, and anything goes, including things that five years ago, for instance, nobody had ever even thought of. We we have no more novelties in the world today, as far as sin is concerned, than any time in history, because well, we can now because well, science. So anyway, he so he's announcing that the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. So he remember yesterday he talked about this this whole thing about the land. It's more than about people. It's about the land as well. It's the same as it was in the time of Jeremiah when he says that you're going to be up in Babylon for seventy years. And there's one reason for that. It's because for five hundred years you haven't allowed the land at Sabbaths. I need you to care for the land. There's a supernatural thing in the land, but only if you care for it and don't abuse it. He says, also, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and even the fish of the sea are taken away. And remember yesterday what God said he was going to make a covenant with everything, not just the people of the land, but with all the animal kingdom in the land, including the creeping things on the ground. And remember also what Paul says. Paul, I think, sees this more clearly than than frequently we do as Christians, because I think we, we want to say, okay, let's abandon that environmental field. To, to those people over there who are Mother Earth worshipers. Well, we're not Mother Earth worshipers, but the Earth matters because God created it, and he gave it to us to be stewards of, and we need to take that stewardship seriously. And so what, what Paul says in Romans 8, 20, and 20, 20 to 22 is this, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It didn't offer itself up to be subjected to futility, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It wants good stewards, is what Paul's saying. It, it wants the, the children of God to be the stewards of the world, to have dominion over it. You know, it, it, we, we don't like that word dominion, right? I mean, it feels like, like well, we're, we're, you know, powerful and we can do anything we want. No, it's not what dominion means at all. No, it, it means like having a dog. I have dominion over the dog. But my goal is to be the best possible owner I can be so that dog has the best life it can possibly have. It's that kind of dominion. And what Paul's saying is, is that the, the entire earth all of creation was subjected to futility. Why? Because of sin. Because it's part of the curse in Genesis 3. And, but, but it subjected itself in the hope of the revelation of the children of God. It, it was waiting for us. How are we doing with that? I'm afraid not too well is the honest answer. We've overlooked that more often than not. So, but, but Hosea is very clear about this in the same way that Paul is very clear about it. And, and the Lord says, Yet let no one contend and let none accurse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you, the priest, have rejected knowledge I reject you from being a priest to me, and since you've forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. So the priests had turned away from the Lord. They had turned away to Baal worship and all this other stuff. They, They no longer cared about the law. They no longer cared about the Word of God. We see that time and time again in Kings and Chronicles when when suddenly somebody will say, hey, you know, we found this thing. We found this book. And they see it again in the time of Ezra when he proclaims and the people are weeping on a day when they should be celebrating. But they're weeping because they're convicted of sin because, wow, we forgot this stuff. We forgot all of this. It was lost. And he says, and since you've forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Leadership means everything. Everything rises and falls based on leadership. I've seen it in way too many churches. I mentioned this yesterday, and and I'll mention it again. I've seen it happen in churches time and time again. When, when they become infatuated with other stuff rather than the Word of God. In the Episcopal Church, for instance, this is a perfect, for instance, when I was ordained as an Anglican priest, I, I re, re, didn't request, I uh, demanded <laughs> that we use the 1928 um, ordinal from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. We use the service for, from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. Chuck Murphy said, John, sounds good to me. I like it. You go, though, and modernize the language, and, and I'll be happy to use it. And so I did. There's one specific reason that I demanded that the 28 be used, and that is there's a question in that prayer book for, for someone who's going to be a priest that says that you'll devote yourself to the study and the knowledge of the Word of God and things pertaining thereto, laying aside the study of all else. There's not a single question anywhere remotely like that in the 1979 prayer book. Nowhere. Nowhere. What in the If you want to know what's wrong with the church, that's what's wrong with the church. We don't even ask the priests to devote themselves to the study of the Word of God, laying aside the study of all else. Well, that's not a church that's going to last, and it's certainly not going to be a church that blesses God, because the people 
will be destroyed for lack of knowledge because the priesthood has rejected knowledge. It's as simple as that. If you're in a church that, that likes to give lots and lots and lots of illustrations and hangs, you know, sort of hangs the word of God on their illustration rather than the other way around, leave. Go someplace where you can learn more about the word of God all the time. There's rant. <laughs> the more they increase, the more they sin against me. I'll change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. How do you feed on the sin of God's people? It's because, hey, it's great. The people are very sinful, and they know that, so they bring more sacrifices, and I get more food. They feed on the sin of my people, and they are greedy for their iniquity. It's fine with me if you sin a lot in a sacrificial system because that means more stuff for me. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord. Churches all over America, all over the world, especially in the sort of white Western world, have made that same choice to forsake the Lord, forsake his word, to say that these things don't matter, to say that, no, 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 that's the Old Testament. Or Jesus never said anything about that. Or, well, you know, Paul, he was just hung up on some things. No, mm -mm. nope, nope. That's a church under judgment. They don't know it, but they're a church under judgment. And if they want to say, well, you know, you're, you're not concerning yourselves with these other things, therefore you're on the wrong side of history, uh-uh, that ain't how history is written. History is written by one, and that's the Lord himself. The rant wasn't quite over. <laughs> in the gospel today, Jesus, remember, had just called the first disciples, the fishermen, um, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And so, so now, while he is in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And he saw Jesus. He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, he shouldn't have come anywhere near Jesus. He wasn't supposed to come anywhere near him at all. But that this falling on the face and saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You have the ability to do this. I recognize you. And then this is the one that always kills me. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. All he had to do was speak the word. But he didn't. No. He did the tenderest, most loving thing he could possibly do. He reached out his hand and touched him. You know, he told the centurion, I don't have to come to your house. You know, you, you don't have enough faith. <laughs> I don't have to come there. And he said, no, no, no. All you got to do is speak the word. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And he was. Here, this guy, an untouchable, Jesus touches him and heals him. Didn't have to, did it. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but quote, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So what is this offering that Moses commanded? Now, obviously, God gave the, uh, the commandment. So after somebody is cleansed, what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go to show themselves to the priest. The priest has to examine them, make sure all the leprosy has gone. And then they have to make an offering. What's a particular kind of an offering? It's a sin offering. There's a, a belief within Judaism, and it's very clear about leprosy in the land, and they believe that it's only possible that it's in the land because it's part of God's cleansing of the people and cleansing of the land. And it's the pointing out of hidden sin, and it's the sin of gossip. And they get it. I've told this before. They get it from when Miriam and Aaron come to, to Moses and they say, who do you think you are? You know, are you better than us? And God strikes Miriam with this leprosy, and, and uh, Moses prays that it'll go away. 
And God said, no, 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 if she had cursed her father, she'd have to deal with this for seven days, so now she's going to have to deal with this. And so they, they extrapolate that and say, that's what's going on. That's that kind of leprosy. It's not Hansen's disease. It's not that wasting skin thing. No, that's not what it is at all. They say, no, it's this thing that's only possible when we're in the land because that sin pollutes the land. And so <clears throat> there's a sin associated with it. So you've got to make a sin offering to complete the cycle of healing. You can't be readmitted to the fellowship simply because you don't have leprosy anymore. Nope, you got to do this process. And everybody knows you've got leprosy because the priest had to see it. You've had to had to wear a sign and yell at people and say leper, 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 and so people won't come near. And, and so now it's required that you make the sin offering necessary to do this. And Jesus sends this guy to go make a sin offering. It's the only place that we know of in Scripture where Jesus tells somebody to go make an offering, but it's because he hasn't made atonement yet, and this is related to sin. And so he tells him to go make the sin offering necessary to be a proof for the healing. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Even Jesus needed to get away, needed time away. We can busy ourselves so much in the work of God that we're no longer being fed. And it's easy at that point to believe that it's you. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and from Jerusalem. So they're coming out to him. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Luke is the only one who will say that. Because it, there's a presumption that the power of the Lord was always with Jesus to heal, right? But Luke tells us in this situation there was. So it's, it's almost like Luke's saying it wasn't an always thing. But anyway, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So they made a space in the roof. They moved the tiles out of the way. They didn't tear up the roof. They moved the tiles out, and then they, they lowered him down in front of Jesus. I mean, you, you just imagine this scene, right? And when he saw their faith, their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And I've said this before, I'm positive, absolutely certain in my mind, that, that this man's paralysis was somehow related to his sin, specifically because Jesus said that first. <clears throat> and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, there's proof. If you say rise up and walk, there's proof that you've done what you said you did. And the other is not so clear. And so the second is going to validate the first. If he can rise up and walk, then you could say also then that his sins must have been forgiven. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. You bet. So it, it, that guy's sins are forgiven. The leper's sins have to be dealt with in the, the temple with a sacrifice. Why is that? Because his sins are known. We know exactly what they are. This guy didn't have to go 
and do the sacrifice. He could choose to. But Jesus proclaimed that his sins were forgiven. The leper needed to make that sacrifice in order to regain entrance into the, uh, the fellowship. This guy's paralysis, now that he's healed, he's fine. He can go in. Nobody knows about that. But the two things are connected. In the Acts passage, so that, remember yesterday, Paul had, had said farewell to the people of Ephesus and said, I know what's going to happen when I go to Jerusalem. There's going to be torment, there's going to be pain, there's going to be affliction, there's going to be imprisonment. Now, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was going to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples in Tyre, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Well, we know that Paul already knew. The Spirit had already told Paul what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, but here these people know it too. It's, it, 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 the rest of this chapter kind of reads to me like when Elijah is getting ready to be taken up into heaven and Elisha is following him around, and, and, Eli, and he keeps saying, you stay here, I'll go, I'll go on. No, 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 I'm going to stay with you. And so and it goes from place to place to place, and Elijah keeps trying to push him away and say, you stay here, I'll go on. And Elisha says no, in the same way that Ruth said no to Naomi in the book of Ruth, I'm going to persevere, and I'm going to go all the way with you. And here, everywhere Paul goes, they're going to come and tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. But he's going to go. <laughs> because that's where Paul knew that's where the Lord was sending him. He, as I said yesterday, he set his face to Jerusalem in the same way Jesus set his face to Jerusalem when he was going to be crucified. <clears throat> When our days there were ended entire, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another, and then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we'd finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and then we, we were greeted by the brothers and stayed them with them for a day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. So who is this Philip, one of the seven? Well, one of the seven deacons from way back in um, Acts 6. He's the one who went to Samaria after, the, after Stephen's persecution, after, the, after they, they stoned Stephen. Then this persecution breaks out. Everybody except the apostles leave Jerusalem. Philip goes to Samaria, and we're told that he gets a great harvest there. And then from there... The Lord takes him down to where the Ethiopian eunuch is. And after he leaves there, we're told, Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So apparently, after, after the Samaria thing, and then after the Ethiopian eunuch thing, then he, he preached and went on his way to Caesarea, which is where he is now. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. It's interesting. It's it's kind of an odd little detail, just sort of tossed in there. There's four. He had four daughters, and they all prophesied. That's all we hear. <laughs> That's all we're told about him. Because now we hear about this Agabus, who I mentioned the next mentioned yesterday. While we were staying for many days, Paul he, Luke doesn't count those. He knows well. We were seven days in Tyre, and then we were a day at Ptolemy, and, and then we came to Caesarea, and we were there many days. So while we were there, staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. 
And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. So everybody in Caesarea, Luke, the other people who were with him, begged him not to go to Jerusalem. And, and I've said this before, that, I, that I've certainly known prophets or people who, who have prophetic gifts, let's say, in, in my life. And it, this would have infuriated every single one of them, because their, their intention would be, I told you this, so you wouldn't do that. Well, it's not up to you. You've told me what's going to happen. You know, I, if a prophet had come up and told Jesus, for instance, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, I see you've got your set, face set for Jerusalem. If you go there, it's not going to go well. You're going to be crucified. Would Jesus have gone? Well, of course he would. He already knew it. Same with Paul. He knew where God was calling him to be and what he was calling him to do. So he persevered and went where he knew God was calling him to be. And Paul answered them, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He didn't. He died in Rome. But, but he was imprisoned in Jerusalem. He says, I'm ready for that. You know, all the stuff that I've gone through, it prepared me for this. I hate to think what all the stuff I've gone through in my life might have prepared me for. Man, I hope it doesn't get worse, right? And since he wouldn't be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Sounds a whole lot like Thomas's statement. Well, let's go there and die with him. No, we're just going to go. But, but that's how it is, right? I mean, when we were called, when, we, when I went to Rwanda and spent all of the time that I spent there, one of the times somebody said, John, I'm just so heartened knowing God wouldn't call you there and let you die there. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason at all to believe that. That's a silly belief. But, it, but it's the way that Christians too often think. And, and I didn't disabuse them of that. It was just, okay, okay, I'm prepared for whatever God wants. You know, I'm prepared because I'm going where I know he's sending me today. And that's the way we always need to think about our lives. We need to think about Paul's, think about Paul's example and say, you know what? I want to be a drink offering. I want to be poured out before the Lord. I want everything to be poured out of me every single day. I want to give him everything I've got every single day of my life. I don't do it very often, (laughs) but it's really what I want more than anything in the world. I want to be used of God, no matter what the cost to me is. I might not want it tomorrow. I'm weak. I'm sinful. I'm not as good a man as I want to be. He's making me into that man. If we could set ourselves every single day to say, Lord, I want, to, I want to do whatever I can for you today for whatever I can for your kingdom, he'll do it. He'll use us in that way. We may not see it, we may not know it, but he'll do it. But it begins with our yieldedness to him.